Okay, Ezra 1, 1 through 6, God's restoration process. Um, the Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation. Proclamation could also be translated declaration um, throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. So by way of introduction, the Israelites had, begun, uh, uh, had been given a homeland after that captivity in Egypt with the understanding that they would serve the Lord and keep his commandments or keep his word. What you'll find as you read throughout their history, the Bible is the word of God, but the word of God oftentimes is presented to us in history, historical form, how God worked through the Israelites, through different people. And I don't know if you know this, but when the Bible presents history, sometimes it it presents it as documentary and sometimes it represents it as commentary. So in other words, sometimes you get a picture of something that's going on and the Lord doesn't tell you whether it's right or not. We assume, because it's in the Bible, that it must be God's will. No, God doesn't always tell you that. You've got to learn how to rightly interpret the Word of God, right? And sometimes it's just documentary. Sometimes God's just showing you what people did. Like I'm reminded of in the book of Judges, a guy by the name of Jephthah, he made a vow. He said, uh, whatever comes out of my house, you know, I'm going to dedicate it to you. And then the Bible goes and describes that his daughter came out of his house and it kind of leaves you hanging whether or not, uh, you know, she became, uh, 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 she, uh, uh, she never married and became a virgin all her life or whether she was sacrificed to the Lord. You know, we, we, it leaves you hanging. And sometimes you think, well, is the Bible giving uh, credence to that? Is it, is, it, is it saying that that's okay, that that's valid? No, it's not telling you any of that. It's just giving you documentary. This is what happens. Well, why did he put it in the Bible? Well, you know, that's what eternity's about, trying to figure out why God did what he did, you know. Uh, we know that God is good. Your foundational process always has to be that God is good. And you have to reason from the fact that God is good, right? And, and as you read through the Word of God, learn different accounts, learn a little bit more about God, then you can begin to make uh, some conclu- jump to some conclusions. Yes, sometimes you do have to make assumptions and you jump to conclusions, but they're valid. They should be biblically founded assumptions and conclusions, not just stuff that you made up on your, you know, just out of your own head, okay? But, but anyway, so uh, I say that to you um, because uh, through, throughout Israel's history, what you're going to find, you're going to find in the Word of God the history of the Israelites, and um, I just was teaching you in the middle of this, so you, you know, just threw something out there, and if you like it, keep it, if you don't, just, you know, flush it. And uh, so anyway, they, the Israelites constantly rebelled against the Word of the Lord. And they insisted over and over again 
whether they were tempted, whether they, this, you know, whether they were rebellious, whatever, they insisted on serving other gods. They just did it over and over again. And over a process of time, the Lord was faithful, he was merciful, he rescued them, but finally, he was like, okay, so you're not learning, this is Rick Hilgero understanding, you're not learning through your mistakes, so if you're so intent on serving other gods, let me let you go your own way. You know, that's a hard, that's a hard, I, as a parent, that, I, I want to tell you something, that's, that's a hard place to be, to let your kids, you can tell them over and over and over, over and over and over again, you know what's right, you know what you shouldn't do, and they're consistent, consistent, and finally one day you just have to say, uh, you're going to have to face the consequences of your own decisions, right? I have, I have uh, a relative that's in that position, some of you know where he's at, and, you know, um, I was really struggling the other day because the Bible says to, uh, to uh, if someone needs a coat, you know, or someone needs some help, you're supposed to help them. But I found myself re- realizing that that's really depends on the situation and the circumstance. Yes, we're always predetermined to help people, but sometimes your help can actually become the um, the what the enabling of them uh, continuing in the situation that they're in. And so sometimes you have to say no. And I was wrestling with that, you know. Do you wrestle with the Word of God? I wrestle with the Word of God, you know. I find myself doing what the Word of God says not to do, but at, but at the same time, I think I can justify it because I'm not doing it to hurt them. I'm doing it to help them, you know. So it's, everything's not black and white, but the Word of God is relevant, relevant. We have to wrestle with it. So anyway, God just finally said, okay, maybe, you know, I'm just going to have to let you go your own way and show you what it's like to really serve other gods and to serve other nations, and so they were taken captive by the nation. Uh, the northern kingdom was taken captive by the nation of Assyria. The southern kingdom was finally taken captive by the nation of Babylon. Jerusalem was captured. The temple was destroyed, and the Israelites were taken out of their homeland back into captivity again, not to Egypt, but they were taken back to, into captivity into Babylon, okay? However, in the middle of all of this, God is good, and God is faithful, right? God, who is omniscient, and as we learned before, that means all-knowing, knowing the end from the beginning, prophesied before the Israelites were ever taken captive through the prophet Jeremiah that he would break the yoke of Babylon and restore his people back to their homeland after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. All right, in Jeremiah 25 and 12, it says, when it came to pass, and it, it will come to pass, Jeremiah is prophesying, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. In Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, the Bible says, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place for I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So what is he telling his people? I, I don't want you in captivity. I want you to serve me. And when you serve God, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like in our way of thinking, it's an oxymoron. But if we're not tethered to God, we're not free. We're actually serving an enemy. The only way to truly be free is to be tethered to God. It's kind of like the kite that is uh, kids flying, and the kite, you just imagine the kite has a mind of its own. He says, oh, I'm flying so high. I'm flying so high. I'm flying so high. If I only wasn't attached to this string, I could really soar. 
Oh, if I could just be free from the string, then I could really fly to these greatest heights. But what happens when the kite is set free from the string? It falls to the ground. And that's the way we think sometimes. Oh, God's limiting me. No, it, God is actually the source of your freedom. We were designed to be tethered to God. Amen? And so, anyway, um, the Bible goes on to say, that, uh, uh, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will heed you. I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with some of your heart. With all your heart. You know, even in the Old Testament, really, you got to be all in. You know why marriage doesn't work today for a lot of people? Because they're not all in. Right? Used to be, till death do us part, meant till death do us part. Now, you don't build uh, uh, doctrines on the exceptions, right? Oh, well, what if this happens? Or There are biblically exceptions to unfaithfulness and abuse and things like that. But for the most part, people aren't divorcing today. Christians aren't divorcing today because of that. They're divorcing today because they're unhappy. They're not all in, right? Really what they should say is be honest in their vows is I'll stay married to you as long as I'm happy. <laughs> well, I'd say right then, I'd say, well, I'm not happy about that. <laughs> we might as well just end this thing right now because I ain't happy. Anyway, let's keep going. Let's go. All right. So, um, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Now, in our text, Cyrus, who is the king of Persia, the nation who had taken the Babylonian kingdom, was now issuing a decree, a declaration to let the captives go and rebuild the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. In fact, he says, I have been given a commandment by God to do this. Right? So, why would Cyrus send the Israelites back to rebuild the temple? There's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of speculations. But I, I tend to agree with the historian Josephus that says that Cyrus had been shown the prophecy that was written about him years before he ever came into power. I could, I'd give you the figure if I'd looked it up, but I didn't. But it was before he was ever born. God wrote in the book of Isaiah that Cyrus was going to be his instrument. And, he, and, and, and I think he was told by Josephus that actually it was probably Daniel showed him his name in the Bible. Where is that? Isaiah 44, 28. Who says of Cyrus, this is Isaiah prophesying, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. So uh, uh, Cyrus found himself in the word of God. And when he found himself in the word of God, he found his destiny in the word of God. By the way, this is a good message. Uh, I could go and talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a voice of one crying in the wilderness. He found himself in the word of God, and when he found himself in the word of God, he found his destiny. I don't know about you, but your destiny may not necessarily, your name may not necessarily be written in the word of God. Because I don't see anybody here named Melchizedek or Mahashal al-Hashbash. Right? But the reality is, your destiny has already been written. And when you can find your destiny, you'll find something worth living for. Amen? 
Well, anyway, Cyrus found himself in the Word of God, found what his purpose was, and then he began to declare the Word of God, the purpose of God that God had raised him up for. He began to make a proclamation. As we read already, uh, he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, in this text... When Cyrus was ready to do something, and in this particular instance, he was ready to do something for God, he made a proclamation. He declared what he believed was the will of God to be done. In essence, we could kind of condense that to saying he declared the word of God, right? Now, do you know that from the very beginning, God taught us the importance of vocalizing and declaring the Word of God. In the book of Genesis 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. Now, were any of us there? Were there any people there? No, God was there. Maybe the angels of God were there. Perhaps they were already created. We don't know. But God revealed to Moses, because there was nobody there to hear this, God revealed to Moses, this is how I did it. Right? Why does the Bible reveal to us that God spoke and the will of God began to manifest? Did we really need to know that information? Apparently, God thought we needed to know that. God does and reveals nothing without purpose. And so I believe that God revealed this to us in his word that we might learn how God works. And by the way, we were created in the image and the likeness of God. And he's not teaching the animals. Who's he, te who's he teaching? Us. Those who were created in the image and the likeness of God. And through his example, he is teaching us how he works so that as we look and we see, we can function the way he functioned. God reveals his will, his word, and he declares it. And we, like him and like Cyrus in our text, are to make proclamation of the word of God in our life. And by the way, when did God declare that there was light? Before there was light. Right? He didn't go, oh, light. Hey, let there be light. There was darkness. It was chaotic. And by the way, in the Hebrew, evening... And mourning can also represent chaos and order. God brought order into chaos. He brought light into darkness. And how did he do that? By speaking his word. Right? Now listen. I'm, I know there are excesses. And what happens a lot of times is we want to throw out Bible knowledge, Bible teaching, because people out there are latching onto excesses, and we don't want to fall into excess. And so what is easier for us to do is just eliminate that truth. 
But this is in the Bible. Why would God reveal to us something that's in the Bible? Because he wants us to know how he designed the universe to work. Right? And so it's important for us to understand that when God wanted to do something, he spoke the word. He spoke his will. He spoke not the problem. He didn't look and say, oh, man, look at the darkness. No. What he spoke was his word into the darkness. Right? And, and we have to learn how to find, now listen, he, it's, we're, God is speaking His Word, His will. It's His Word that has power, not ours. But His Word is released when we speak His Word through our lips. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Then why did He raise the prophets and give them His Word? Why didn't He just speak from heaven, His Word? Because God speaks through instruments. He speaks through people. And you say, well, I'm not qualified to be an instrument. Well, you're more qualified than a donkey. Right? If he can use a donkey, and you're created in the image and the likeness of God, a donkey's not, then by definition, you're, you're a little bit better than a donkey. If he can use a donkey to speak his word, can he speak you? Can he use you? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the question we have to be asking is, and I know I'm kind of running off here, but it's important. Are we speaking the problem, or are we speaking his word? Right? Now... The problem, we're not saying not to face the problem. A lot of people think that faith is not facing the problem or faith is denying the problem. No, that's not the case. God spoke his word into the darkness. So he looked at the darkness, recognized what he wanted to do, spoke his word into the darkness, and the darkness moved because of the word. Now, there's more to that. The Spirit of God was hovering. We'll get into that here in a minute. But the reality is what I'm trying to get you to understand is that the, the importance of speaking and declaring the Word of God. The enemy wants us speaking the problem. The enemy wants us declaring our fears. We all struggle with fear. Faith is not the absence of fear. Listen, I've been serving God for a long time. And I know some of you have this mistaken idea that I'm this great you know, man of God, I'm not. My wife says it this way, in the pulpit, I'm Superman, but when I get home, I'm just little old Clark Kent. And it's true. I'm, I'm telling you. It's the anointing of God when the anointing of God empowers me to do things that I can't do on my own. But I'm not always walking in this anointing. I'm just a person just like you. Right? So the reason I say that is I, I, we battle, I battle with fear. I battle with anger. I battle with unforgiveness. I battle with these things. I battle with temptations, you know, thoughts that come my way. But you have to learn not to let those things rule in your life by giving them voice. What you have to learn how to do is you need to speak forth the Word of God and not the problem. Don't latch on to the problem. Latch on to the Word and let what comes out of your mouth not be the problem, but be God's answer to the problem, which is always going to be His Word. Am I making sense to you? That's what God taught us to do, and it's what we've got to learn how to do. So Ezekiel 3 and 4, God said to Ezekiel, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. The word of God came to him, and he's saying, go speak my words to them. He didn't say, go speak your words to them. 
that's what I was telling you at the beginning. My struggle is I don't want to speak just any words, and I don't just want to speak uh, his, uh, words that may, aren't relevant to the situation. I want to speak what God is saying. When we can speak what God is saying, then it's kind of like there's, there's resonance, there's harmony, right? When God is saying one thing and we're on a different frequency, it's, it's, it doesn't, there's no power in that. But I think they said if you can find the right frequency, and I don't even know if, I'm, um, uh, if this is relevant, but you can find the right frequency uh, just in the power of sound. You can actually cause a, a glass to shatter. Well, imagine if what you're speaking comes in the line with what God is saying. The, it's not you. You're just broadcasting what the Lord is saying. You say, well, I don't understand that. Well, then the Bible say, uh, uh, whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. All you're doing is releasing through your mouth what God is saying. I'm not saying you're God. All I'm saying is we're instruments of God. And like Eli, in this case, Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to give you my words and go speak my words to the people. And then in Jeremiah 23, 29, what happens when we speak God's word to the people, into the situation, whatever God tells us to, it says, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. What breaks the rock in pieces? It's not Ezekiel, it's not, Ezekiel, it's not Jeremiah, it is the word, the right word, the relevant word, what God is speaking, spoken into the situation, has the power to move obstacles. Am I making sense to you? Okay. So, when you speak the word of God, uh, Cyrus began to speak. He said, this is what the Lord has told me to do. And he proclaimed it. He made a proclamation. He made a declaration. He wrote it down. Didn't God tell Haggai? Was it Haggai? He said, um, no, it was... Okay, y'all help me. It was the guy that says, uh, write the vision down and, and Habakkuk, right? Write the vision down and make it plain, right? In other words, in the same way, this is what I'm telling you, make it visible. In other words, proclaim it, declare it, what I'm telling you, right? What happens when we speak the Word of God? Well, in our text, going back to our text, you probably thought I forgot about our text. It's the next thing we want to see is that the people of God are stirred. What people? The people that are in captivity. They're stirred. Now, let's see if we can learn something from that. It says in Ezra 1, 3 through 6, Who among you of all his people may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build a house of the Lord God of Israel? He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver, gold, with goods, livestock, so on and so on. And it says in verse 5, Then the heads of the father's house of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So what we see taking place next in our text is that the people who heard the proclamation, who heard the will of God, began to respond to it. Once again, if we go back to the book of Genesis, we are told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And what we deduce from that is when the Word of God was spoken, the Spirit of God began to bring to fruition the spoken Word. 
God's the Father, the Trinity is here, by the way. God the Father spoke. What is the spoken word? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, right? The Word was with God, and the Word was, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh, right? So God the Father spoke the Word, and the Spirit of God was providing the, the energy needed to bring it to pass. Didn't mean to go into that here today, but uh, what happens is when when we speak the well, let me let me read that verse up before we go any farther. Genesis one one through two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In other words, it was like it was like he wasn't just sitting there. It was like it was like his wings were fluttering. The energy that stored in the power of God was ready to be released. And what released the Spirit of God to move was the spoken word of God. Now remember, nobody was there. So why is God revealing this to us? Because this is how God still works today. Again, we were created in the image and the likeness of God, right? So we actually see this playing out in one of the prophetic prophets. There's probably more than one place, but we're going to just look at just one. In God's calling of Ezekiel to prophesy to Israel. In Ezekiel 2, 1 through 2, the Bible says, He, the Lord, said to me, Ezekiel's talking, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. So what is God speaking? The word. And then the Bible says the very next verse then the Spirit entered into me when he spoke and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. So what happened when God spoke the word, the Spirit of God began to, uh, uh, in partnership with Ezekiel, but you see how much God is involved in this. The Spirit of God actually went to bring the Word of God into manifestation in Ezekiel's life, right? So that's what we need to understand is how God works. When the Word of God came forth, the Spirit of God began to move, and when the Spirit of God began to move, power was released to carry out the work. In the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of that same Spirit of God came upon the believers at Jesus as Jesus had promised in Acts 1 and 8. You, talking to the disciples, but we too are disciples as well, shall receive power after that, or this translation says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I kind of like this one, when, because it is a given that it's supposed to happen. Today, we got entire conferences be taking place on why we're not supposed to be the same empowered the same way that the people were in the New Testament uh, uh, church and the, and the book of Acts, why that is no longer needed for today because now we have the Word of God. We don't need the empowerment of the Spirit of God, and yet it's the very Word of God that actually teaches us this is what we need. This is not the exception. This is the norm, right? We don't believe in cessationism, for those of y'all that like big words. We believe in continuanism. I'll get that right. Huh? Yeah. Oh, I got an F. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, 
That's all right. Maybe I can up my grade a little bit. Okay, so Pilar was a teacher. She just gave me a grade. Anyway, no, she didn't do that. She's very, yeah, she's just, I'm just teasing. So uh, Peter now, after the Spirit of God comes out, comes forth in Acts 2, 1 through 4, the disciples are, remember Peter? Peter was the one that denied Jesus because he was afraid. He was a fear, like they say here. No. He was scared. This, this text, this real Texas language now, Marty. And so uh, he got empowered by the Spirit of God. And then when all the people came around, this Peter who was afraid, the Bible says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the same people that killed Jesus not too long ago, right? I think it was 50 days ago, Jesus was crucified. He was telling these same people that crucified Jesus, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, that let this be known to you and heed my words. And that's a long preaching sermon there. You think I preach long. Peter preached long. In Acts 2, we'll jump down to verse 36. These very people that crucified Jesus, Peter, empowered by the Spirit of God, says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm dying now. I'm, I'm going across just like Jesus is, but that power of God is on me, and I'm going to tell the truth. You see, he was not willing to tell the truth before he was empowered by the Spirit of God. But now that he's empowered by the Spirit of God, he is empowered to speak the Word of God to the people. Amen? So in verse 37, when he heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Repent, uh, 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 men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, my, my point in reading this is for you to understand, Peter was proclaiming the word of God, but who cut, who used the word of God to cut through their hard hearts? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was working with the Word of God that was being proclaimed. And the Spirit of God was the hammer using the Word of God. The hammer, the Spirit of God, was, was the one that was cooperating. Like I said, I, 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 I don't know. Um, this is not biblical language. This is language that I kind of figured out before I got saved to try to describe what was happening in my heart. I would sit in the congregation. I'd hear the preaching of the Word. It didn't happen. Unless the word of God was preached or taught or somebody. But whenever I was in that congregation, I was lost. I, but I was in church and, I, and the preacher was preaching. I would feel this pulling at my heart. Pulling. That's all I knew how to describe. I couldn't describe. I didn't have Christianese. I didn't have vocabulary to talk about. I, a pulling in my heart. Like trying to pull me up to the front. Pull me up to the front. And man, I was fighting. But I wasn't fighting because I didn't want God. I was fighting because there was too many people in that place. And I was so shy. I didn't want to get saved in that place where there were so many people. Eventually, I stopped fighting, and I got saved in my room by myself, but God was there, right? But that pooling, see, the Word of God was being proclaimed, and the Spirit of God was making it real to my heart. Am I making sense to you? So Peter proclaims the will of God, and the Holy Spirit took the Word and brought it to bear in the hearts of those who were listening. In Romans 10 and 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And shall, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone to proclaim or to preach or to declare or to, to talk? Uh, don't get hung up on that word preach, right? If you talk about Jesus, 
in a sense, you're preaching, but we'll use a, an easier vocabulary for us sometimes because we feel like I got to go to Bible school, I got to go to seminary so I can preach. No, all you got to do is talk about Jesus. That's it. Right? Whenever we talk about Jesus, who is the Word, the Spirit of God is there to take that Word that you're speaking and to make it relevant in the lives of people. Right? Now, here's the thing. Now, I'm not, I don't have this in there, but I want you to understand that on this day, uh, uh, in, in when Cyrus was making the proclamation, if you read through Re Ezra, the first couple of chapters, you're going to find that not everybody that was in Babylon went back. They all heard the word of God. But really only a small percentage of the Jews that were in Babylon went back. And he was like 50,000 of them went back over time. But we're talking about millions of people. Why did only 50,000 of them go back? They all heard the word. The spirit of God was stirring all their hearts, but not everyone responded. Right? So don't make the mistake of thinking that if I share the word of God, everybody's going to get saved or everybody's going to respond or everybody's going to, to, to do what they need to do. And the, No, it doesn't work that way. But I can tell you, if we don't share Jesus and talk about the word, it is not given the spirit of God the opportunity to work the way he can work whenever we talk about Jesus. When we talk about Jesus, there are going to be some that will respond, but there are going to be those that don't. So don't take that and say, well, I'm just not going to talk because it doesn't work. No, it works. But we have to give everyone the opportunity. We have the opportunity, and we owe everyone an opportunity to hear the Word of God. Right? So anyway, the people were stirred. Now we're going to finish with, with this. Uh, and you would think, I, I usually go point by point following the, the passage, but this one's a little bit different. I didn't get this point chronologically. I just wanted to bring something out in the passage and make it relevant to us. And I just titled The Ways of God Revealed. In Ezra 1, 2 through 3, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we looked at is that Cyrus said uh, in verse 3, who is among you? May his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God which is in Jerusalem. What I want to focus on is not so much found chronologically, but is embedded in the verses that we just read. In them, we see one of the ways of God revealed to us. How? Well, in order to really uh, uh, get a, get a, a fix, fixated on it or fix on it, we have to ask ourselves, what did God send the Israelites to do first in sending them back? While his purpose is to restore the people to the land. He began by sending them to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. He first had them build the house of God, the central place of worship in the land where they were to dwell. Now, it would be helpful to contrast this with, with what they were not commissioned to do at this time. They were not sent to rebuild the city. They were not sent to rebuild the walls and the gates. We're not saying that there wasn't going to be some construction going on and some rebuilding, but that was not the mission. The mission was first to rebuild the house of God. They were not sent to rule over the land. All this would come later, but this is not where God and how God began. He began with the building of the house of God. 
Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Psalms 103, verse 7, how do we know the ways of God? When he reveals them to us. He made known his ways to Moses, but the children of Israel, this is Rick interpretation, only saw his acts. In other words, they, they, they took everything that God had and never learned that God was their provider. In the next time when there was nothing there, they just said, what have you done for me lately? They didn't learn anything about God or about the ways of God. They just said, thank you very much. But God revealed to Moses the ways of God, and his word can reveal to us the ways of God as well. What we want to bring out here is that one of the ways of God is that he doesn't work from the outside in. He works from the inside out. The Lord begins his work in the human heart, and then the work that is going on in the heart works its way into the everyday life of the individual and ultimately manifests in the activities of the individual, which then manifests itself in socially in the people that surround the individual. And ultimately, when you have a bunch of people in whom the Spirit of God is working and the kingdom of God is growing, it actually begins to affect the culture of society itself. If we understand God's purposes. You see, God can do all this stuff in your heart and you keep it to yourself. Or you think to yourself, I'm staying out of that big bad world so that big bad world don't eat me. Not realize that that big bad world really needs you. And you're and your big almighty God is bigger than any big bad world. Or, or, and he lives inside of you. Right? In Matthew 12, 33 through 35, the Bible says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man... Out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil things. So what does God want to do is he wants to begin with the heart because if he can uh, get your heart, then you will begin to speak and you will begin to do things that are in conformity to a good God. Right? Jesus is the word of God proclaimed. He is the word made manifest, and the, G the message that Jesus preached was the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. While most people in Israel were looking for a Messiah who would restore the kingdom, their understanding of it was that it would come by force as the Messiah led them in victory over the nation, which happened to be Rome at the time, who held them captive. So they were looking for a Messiah that was going to work from the outside in. But they rejected Jesus because they didn't realize that God is a God that works from the inside out. You see, it's kind of like, well, we're looking for this great harvest, and God gives you a seed. 
Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus is the seed of the woman? And that seed within it has everything that is needed to be able to bring anything that God wants into manifestation. If you think, you think sometimes, we may think sometimes in a seed there is, let's say you have an acorn, an oak tree. But that's not true. In a seed is a forest. Because one seed produces a tree that is full of seeds. And then the seeds are planted, which produce trees that produce more seeds. And the next thing you know, you don't just have a seed, you have a forest. Jesus was one man. He was more than a man. But God planted that seed in this earth. And when that seed began to grow, he began to proclaim the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is like seed. As that word and that seed was planted into the hearts of people, the Bible says in Psalms 1, 1 through 3, Pilar was quoting that, uh, uh, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does it meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree that brings forth fruit. What is a quality of fruit? Fruit has seeds. I don't know. <laughs> Some of you may not realize this, because nowadays, I do it too. I like it this way. We buy our fruit all cut up. I don't like it when my wife buys little uh, oranges that I got to peel and put the seed out. I mean, it's good, but, you know, you, you got to take all the seeds out and stuff like that. I don't like that. I like it when it's all nice and clean and peeled and no seeds. And, man, you can just go to town. But what you may not realize is every fruit has a seed. Right? And what is that seed meant to do? To produce Remember, the Word of God is like a seed. The Word of God comes into us. We grow up. We begin to produce fruit. What kind of fruit are we producing? If it's the same seed, which is the, the Lord that's within us, we're producing fruit that comes from that tree. Right? The purpose of that is that others may feast on the fruit because the fruit is not for you. It's for those around you. Well, how do they get that fruit? You've got to proclaim. You've got to share the fruit with them. And as they partake of the fruit, the seed that is in that fruit, they ingest the seed. And then for those who receive it, that seed is planted in their heart. And as it's planted in their heart, it begins to grow. And as it began to grow, it begins to produce fruit. Fruit, and the next thing you know, like I've told you about my life, I the seed was planted in my heart, and the Lord allowed that seed to grow. It wasn't perfect, but the seed was growing. And as it grew, then my family got saved, the neighborhood got saved. Now the Lord's using me to reach many of you who are going forth and reaching others, but I'm not the only one. See, we could look at from your lens, from your eyes, and as long as we're willing to share the word, then we have the ability to affect 
to affect the world around us. But it begins by the restoration of worship, by the restoration of the relationship between us and God. And that happens and that takes place as we receive, receive the seed of the word, which is Jesus. And let him grow within our lives. Right? God works from the inside out. Jesus said the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say see here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Romans 14 and 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. John 3, 3 through 8, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most surely, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. As we stated before, one of the ways of God is that he works from the inside out. What the Israelites were rebuilding was the house of God, the temple of God. The temple represented the establishment of the centralized worship of God, which was to reflect the restored relationship of God with his people. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, We are the temple of the living God. Right? I've said this before, but let me read the rest of it. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In another place, it may be the same uh, passage. It says, what, what fellowship is there between light and darkness with, with the word of God and sin? Right? When you restore the relationship with God, it is God is the only God in my life. I, I agree that I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to keep his word. I'm all in. Not perfect, but my heart is all in. Remember the Israelites? Always wanting to go different, always wanting to serve other gods. We can't be that way. See, we can, grow, we can grow and get a lot of people in this church. All you got to do is give away stuff. You can get a lot of people in church. But it doesn't mean the kingdom of God is growing within them. It doesn't mean the word of God is growing within them. Because the fruit has to come forth in your life. And it says people feast on the fruit. Not the building. Not the programs. But as they eat the fruit and grow in the fruit, the spirit of God partners with the word of God. And it begins to grow. And as it begins to grow, that's how you change people. That's how you change families. That's how you change culture. That's how you change the world. God works from the inside out. Thank you.